Welcome to the Vintage Saints and Sinners podcast. I'm Karen Wright Marsh, and this is the place to find beautiful and broken companions for your everyday pilgrimage. Do you wonder if Christian faith can be truly lived in today's complex and changing world? Well, here you'll find embodied witnesses, Christians from different eras and different cultures. They're people we sometimes call saints, but they were also sinners, just like you and me. Today, I'm here with politics professor Larisha Hawkins for a special conversation about the powerful witness of embodied solidarity. I'm glad that you're here with us. It's a great pleasure to introduce Dr. Larisha Hawkins, an American scholar, author, and speaker. Her story has been told in the New York Times and is the subject of the award-winning documentary film, Same God. Dr. Hawkins is on the faculty at the University of Virginia, where she teaches in the departments of politics and religious studies and serves in the Religion, Race, and Democracy Lab. I'm delighted to have her as a Charlottesville neighbor and grateful to count her as a friend. Welcome to the Vintage Saints and Sinners podcast, Larisha. Thanks, Karen. It's good to be with you today. Larisha, you often speak about embodied solidarity. Could you talk about that concept a bit more and tell us what it means to you? Sure. Embodied solidarity is a concept that I started thinking about while I was a professor at Wheaton College in Illinois. It kind of started as I really reflected on a prayer for social justice that I read in the Book of Common Prayer. And this prayer really floored me. I know some people maybe aren't familiar with the Book of Common Prayer. It comes out of the Anglican Church. Is that right, Karen? Right, right. So it goes back. Um, I don't know how old it is, but there are various versions of the Book of Common Prayer. It gets updated like language wise. So the one that I had is like from the 1920s, I think 1924, perhaps. But the, the essence of the prayer is this. The prayer is that that God will give us grace to never make peace with oppression and that we would fearlessly contend against evil and that we would fight for the maintenance of justice among, it was 1924, men and nations. So among people mm. and nations, in the name of God, amen. And it's <laughs> a very short prayer, but I kept coming back to this prayer. And I'm a professor of politics. And specifically, I teach at the intersection of religion, race, and politics, and research at that intersection it gets fairly depressing thinking about contemporary, you know, race and ethnic relations and religion as those all relate to politics. And I began sharing this prayer with my students at the beginning of the semester as 
this is my prayer for you. This is why I mm. teach. I teach yeah. so that we won't just know theories about politics, but that as Christians, because Wheaton was a Christian university, that we would do justice, that we are called to be justice in the world. And so I made that our class prayer always. You know, we would literally go line by line through the prayer and I would ask students like what struck them. And for me, what struck me is never making peace with oppression. We're bombarded in the news all the time with what some people call only bad news, like famine in Yemen, the ongoing war in Iraq and Afghanistan, the Syrian war, um, Syrian civil war. Um, in our backyard, poverty, abuse, neglect, climate change. And when I hear people say, I don't watch the news or the news is all bad, you know, these are hyperbolic statements. They're also not true. And so what I needed to do was say, we've got to fixate on the oppression. Sorry, not sorry. Like, this is what we do. This is real life. This is life and death. Teaching is life and death for me. Because I'm teaching people, yes, how to think. And yes, there are some important books that I want them to read in my discipline and in my field, including things that I've written. <laughs> but I <laughs> also am enamored with the fact that I have the privilege of speaking to people who are going to go in the world. And at a Christian college, they're going to go out into the world as Christians who are called to be Jesus followers and they're going into various spheres of influence. And I can't have them out there making peace with oppression. I can't right. have them making peace with funny financial dealings on wall street. I can't have them making peace with the death of children in Yemen. I can't have them making peace with the fact that people have nowhere to live and show up on the doorstep of a church and are turned away on Sunday. Like yeah. that's, that's, it's not an option. And so that being said, I thought, well, how can I make this pedagogy? How are we going to live this out and not just talk about it in the classroom, our nice, comfy liberal arts campus, or now we're at UVA with at a world-class institution, what are we going to do? Who are we going to be in the world? And so I started thinking about, we have to embody our solidarity. It can't just be theoretical. It can't just be relegated to books. I see. I think books and ideology are important, but that's not the thing. And so that's how I started thinking about embodied solidarity when I was first a professor at Wheaton College. Hmm. And when you look to centuries past and you being a politician, you know, politics professor and knowing a lot about history. Where do you find stories of this embodied solidarity? I mean, could you name names or what are the the stories that you would lift up for students? Mm -hmm. As I thought about embodied solidarity and I began to conceptualize it, <laughs> the person that I lifted up the most was the Jesus, right? When I thought about what does embodied solidarity look like, the easy answer is it looks like Jesus on the tree, but that's not the answer I gave. 
the answer is that embodied solidarity looks like Jesus on the margins, Jesus on the periphery, Jesus speaking in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus going out of his way to go to leper colonies because, you know, lepers were outcasts, they were pariahs, they weren't in the center of the city, they weren't in the places of power. It looks like Jesus railing against injustice by turning over the money changer's table in the outskirts of the temple where people go to worship the Holy of Holies, where the priests go inside, right? And so where Jesus dares to speak to and see, see acknowledge women, right? Where Jesus hmm. goes through Samaria, not because that's the normal way people went, because that's not the normal way people went. They went around Samaria because Samaritans right. were unclean, right? And that's where he meets the woman, woman at the well. And he is scandalous and subversive. And so the person that I pointed to when I started thinking about embodied solidarity was the Jesus of the movement that began what we speak about as Christianity, what I would prefer to talk about as, yes, a political movement, a socio-political movement. It wasn't religion. It was being justice because God is justice. And so it is incarnational, um, which is which has become a kind of overused phrase within Christianity, like incarnational ministry, da 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 da. But it's true and it's real. So embodied solidarity is best epitomized in my mind by Jesus. And then we do have people who weren't the Jesus who embody solidarity. <sighs> I try to talk about women. <laughs> um, I think a lot of Mother Teresa. I think about, you know, like, and of course she's a nun and people are like, well, that was her job. Yes, it was her job. <laughs> right. But, but this was a high calling to the poorest of the poor, right? To the literally like Jesus, to the lepers. I think also about some folks that, you know, you talk about in your Saints and Sinners book, people like Fannie Lou Hamer. I think about Ida B. Wells Barnett, who was an anti-lynching crusader who scurried around the country as a black woman reporting on lynching. I mean, like Jesus did and some of the disciples, she was, she had to shake the dust off of her feet. And sometimes she didn't have time because she was chased out of towns, like there was a bounty mm. on her head because she dared to report about lynching in the United States, document it. She, she would go down to Mississippi where she might be lynched herself to document lynchings. A woman in the late 19th century, early 20th century, documenting lynching. And without her record, our records would be, they're still incomplete, but like without her you know, perspicacity, we would be, we don't know where we would be, you know, yeah. um, in terms of our understanding of the, you know, how prolific this practice was and how widespread it was, not just in the South, by the way. Yeah. So I think that there are these examples all throughout. And I think a lot of people embodying solidarity are just regular people who are willing to live the call of the Sermon on the Mount 
to walk a mile in their neighbor's shoes that I'll give you one last example. It's one of my favorite examples of when I saw it. It's a contemporary example and someone that everyone can relate to because it's just a normal person and I don't even know her name. I Hmm. lived in Chicago. I taught at Wheaton College in Illinois. I may have already said that, but I can't remember. And it was one of those days in the Midwest where the weather changes on a dime. It was it was March, late March, early April. Everyone was excited because it was really warm out that day. It wasn't snowing. I was on my way to book club on a Friday night and I get on the the L, it's called the elevated train, think subway in New York, but it's the tracks are above. They're on like stilts, if you will. So it's kind of like a train in the sky in Chicago for those who haven't been. (laughs) And so I get on and I see this woman and she's on her laptop and she's doing work on a Friday night. And there had been a rash of burglaries. And I thought, well, that's unwise, you know, like the police have been telling us not to have our laptops out or even your iPhone because people had been, you know, smashing and grabbing. And anyway, then a young man gets on the train at the next stop and she says, she starts chatting with him. He's standing near the door and she's sitting near the door and he's probably 17 and he's a young black man. And this is one of the most dangerous neighborhoods in Chicago in terms of, I should back up and say, it can be a dangerous place to live in part because very few city resources go to this neighborhood. It's called the Austin neighborhood in Chicago. It has one of the highest murder rates in the city. And it also has, not coincidentally, um, one of the highest poverty rates in the city and And again, city is not committed to schools or parks or housing. So unfortunately, it's a place of very few resources. And he gets on the train and the weather had just shifted. So it was really chilly. Like um, all of a sudden we go from warm to like, darn it, it's going to snow tomorrow, you know. And he he gets on and she's chatting and he said, she says, so where's your jacket? And he said, I don't have a jacket. And she has on a windbreaker and she takes off her jacket and she gives it to him. Mm. And then he gets off at the very next stop. She said, you be safe out there. So a young man who got on at one of the most dangerous neighborhoods in the city gets off a couple of stops later, still in the same area vicinity. And in less than five minutes, I have seen Jesus on the green line. Mm. And I sat there and it took everything I had not to burst into tears because I was thinking, I just saw Jesus and I wanted to talk to her, but I'm on a full packed train on a Friday in the city of Chicago. And I also thought, well, I don't want to be seen as coming across as like overly like religious or like I'm trying to convert her on the train, you know, whatever. And so I waited and then it was time for me to get off and she was still on the train and I walked up to her and I said, I saw what you did. And she said, uh-huh. And I said, um, in my religion, she's like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. I said, we're called <laughs> to do that. And I mean, so I could just tell right away that she was a Christian, like by how she was responding. And I said, I just wanted to say thank you. I know you didn't do that to be seen or to perform for someone, but what you did really 
touched me. I was very ineloquent. I, it just, I speak for a living. I didn't know what to say, right? The humility and simplicity of her act is exactly what embodied solidarity is. That's it. Oh, that's such a perfect story. And I think humility and simplicity, I was thinking the same thing. She, she saw a need. She saw a person, a human in front Mm -hmm. of her and she gave him what she had. And I, I think, you know, when I think of embodied solidarity, when I think of Jesus, when I think of, you know, this word saint, I mean, clearly she's in the company of saints. She is. And so many unknown, little known stories of people all around the world every day, you know, embodying solidarity, incarnating the love of Christ. Mm-hmm. It's such an encouragement. Yeah. Um, thank you for telling me. I'll never that know story. her name. And, um, yeah. and it right. kind of annoys me, but I was like, but that's part of the point, right? It's exactly. it's the simplicity and the beauty of being Jesus, mm-hmm. embodying mm-hmm. solidarity with a young black man who would be considered the most feared entity in all of Chicago. People won't ride that train mm-hmm. because they're quote unquote afraid of the kids who live in that neighborhood. And it's, it's quite a, it's quite a testament to how we've dehumanized entire groups Mm -hmm. of people, but she saw him. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the point for me is like, she saw this, she saw someone worthy of dignity and respect. And she saw something like a little brother instead of a black guy who's a possible gangbanger who lives in the worst part of one of the worst parts of the city. And that's mm-hmm. the beauty. That's yeah. the solidarity. And and she asked him that the question, right? Where's your jacket? Mm-hmm. Like how how lovely to ask a question. Yeah. <laughs> Where's your jacket? Yes. Well, you've really encouraged us and I think I know extended this invitation to me today to think about embodied solidarity in my own life, you know, in the people right in front of me. So thank you for your life, for your words, uh, for your scholarship, your activism, and for your friendship, Larisha. Thank you, Karen. It was such a pleasure to be with you today. Larisha Hawkins takes us beyond books and ideology. She shows us what embodied solidarity looks like out there in the world where the courageous witness of love is needed more than ever. May you and I discern how we too might embody God's presence in real and tangible ways. Karen Wright Marsh, the Executive Director of Theological Horizons, a ministry based in Charlottesville at the University of Virginia. I'd love to hear from you. Come by my website, karenwrightmarsh.com. There you'll find show notes and learn about my book, Vintage Saints and Sinners. Download free printable study guides for your small group or just for yourself and keep the conversation going. Thanks to the generosity of the Lloyd and Vivian Noble Foundation and to the Friends of Theological Horizons. 
The Vintage Saints and Sinners podcast is produced by Gabriel Hunter Chang. Our music is by Will Marsh of Gold Connections.